This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. We are going to have some fun today. Wasn't that a great song? Yes, they did an awesome job. I hope you didn't miss the words, because that's the real heart of the message. Isn't it fun having people do all the stuff up here? I think we are set up. Hey, my name is Ron. I'm the founding pastor of the church, and I'm going to be speaking to us for about the next 30 minutes on a subject that's really, really, really important. And Caroline did such a great job of introducing the concept of, we're going to be talking about community groups today. And I realize that a number of you are brand new to New Life, and that's great. I want to give you a special welcome, and we're going to talk about community groups, and you're going to think, oh my gosh, it's my first Sunday here. I mean, that's way quick to get involved in a community group. So I want to direct your attention to a principle that that underlies all of our community groups. Because even if you think, I'm not ready to sign up for a group today, I don't want you to miss the principle. And And we'll speak directly to it. But I just want to give it to you right now so you can be looking for it as we go through. Because you're a human being, you are hardwired for community. In fact, it's virtually impossible for you to thrive outside of the context of community because all the data points that direction. And not only that, most of us find it very difficult to even survive outside the context of community. So we're going to explore the whole concept of community. And so that's why it says circle up. And as soon as I figure out how to turn this on, we will be ready to go. Okay? So we're going to talk about circling up. Why? Because circles are better than rows. Would you read that out loud with me? Ready? Circles are better than rows. Now, why would that be the case? Well, let's start with our treadmill. Let's have confession time. (laughs) How many of you have ever purchased a piece of exercise equipment for your home and this is how you normally used it? (laughs) Anybody on board with that? Yes, we've all done that. In fact, the best deals in the gently owned, the gently used department out there are in consumer grade exercise equipment. In fact, it's so valueless that the last time I checked, Goodwill would not even accept them. Hmm. True. Why is that? Well, the first thing we have to know is We purchased. Why did we buy that? We purchased because we believed something. We believed that that machine would actually improve the quality of our life. And does it have the potential to increase the quality of our life? Yeah, sure it does. But our experience with exercise equipment teaches us this. Believing doesn't make us different. We believed We even invested. We believed to the point that we invested. 
But believing doesn't change our lives. Acting on what we believe is actually what changes our lives. For those of you who grew up in a church or have some form of church experience, I find it interesting that most Christians are very clear on what they believe. And if anybody speaks against what they believe, we are very quick to respond and sometimes not in the best way. Because there's something on the inside of us that somehow we've bought into that says believing is what's actually really important. But I want to tell you this morning, if you could trade that paradigm in and realize that it's acting that's what's really important. So is believing important at all? Of course it is. Because if you believe the wrong things, you will act improperly. Yeah. If you believe that a certain thing will do you good and you act on that belief, but it actually doesn't do you any good, and all you have to do, and no offense to anyone who works in the medical profession, but there's a reason why doctors practice. You know what that means? You are the practicee. That's what that means. Okay? And if you look at the history of the medical profession, we keep trying things. And yes, we're getting better and better and better. But think about how many things were tried when you were a child that no one would dare to do now because we understand it's not actually good for us. But at the time, we believed it and we acted on it. And it wasn't until it crashed and burned that we realized, oh, that's not a good deal. So it is important what we believe. But it's also vitally important that we understand that believing doesn't change anything. It's not until we act on what we believe that actually our lives can change. Now, Jesus had a word for this. And the Jesus word for acting on what we believe is the word follow. And that's why Jesus said over and over again, in a handful of places, he invited people to believe in him. In a boatload of places, he invited people to follow him. Because he knew that if we don't act on what we believe, in other words, if we don't follow in the end, it doesn't actually make any difference what we believe. It doesn't change our lives. So, we started out with a confession of the coat hangers on the treadmill. And and if I were to put that... In, in just a summary statement, it would be this. We struggle to act on what we believe. We bought it because we believe, but we found it difficult to act on that. So why, why do we struggle to act on what we believe? Because when it comes to transformation, rows are good, but circles are better. If you've ever wanted to lose weight and you joined Weight Watchers, you didn't just get a diet, they asked you to come to a place, right? And it was a place of other people that were on the same journey. If you struggled with addiction, people don't just give you a book and say, read the book, what do they ask you to do? Come with me to AA or NA or whatever else it might be. Because there's something that we know intuitively on the inside of us. And that is, we are actually wired 
for community. Now, probably not too many of you know what this is. But in the 1960s, when we were involved in the war in Vietnam, a number of our pilots were shot down, and they were housed in a place that sort of derisively became called the Hanoi Hilton. And these guys were kept in solitary confinement in their cells. But if you read anything about that at all, you figured out, you, you have read that they figured out a way to tap on the walls to communicate with each other. Huh. And this was the grid that they used. So it's five rows by five rows. There's no Z. I don't know what they did with that. I looked and couldn't find what they did with that. But here's the deal. Every night, the message that they gave each other by tapping on the walls was two down and one over, a G. One down and two over, a B. And five down and one over, GBU. You know what it stood for? God bless you. This, my friends, became their lifeline. Because they understood their only chance of surviving what was going on in their lives is they had to be in community some way, even if it meant tapping on the walls. Some of you are here this morning and you're sort of ready to tap on the wall because life's really tough for you right now. What I want you to know is what would drive people to do this? The fact that they were hardwired for community. Because here's something that we find in community. Acting on what we believe is easier when we're doing it with a group. We have a group of people in our church that are training for marathons and half marathons. And guess what? None of them does train on their own. Because virtually impossible to thrive in that environment. But when they get with their other fellow trainers and trainees, and they run together, and they, I don't know what all they do together, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, I don't know what they do, but whatever you're doing, it's a lot easier to do it when you're doing it with other people at the same time. Now here's a, an important principle, and that is, Following Jesus is not, was never designed to be a solo exercise. It was always to, designed to be a relational activity. If you peruse the teachings of Jesus, you will see it all the way through his teachings. If you, if you read through the teachings of the apostles, the men that he personally trained and that wrote virtually all of the Newer Testament in the Bible... All the way through, you will see that following Jesus was always in de designed to be a relational activity, not a solo exercise. So the Apostle Paul, one of the guys that met Jesus um, maybe three or four years after Jesus raised from the dead in a special appearance, and it radically changed his life as he wrote letter after letter to different churches, giving them instruction on how to follow Jesus, he kept using this word, one another. 
And that's a relational word. He kept saying, love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, serve one another, counsel one another. That's interesting, isn't it? Restore one another, submit to one another, carry one another's burdens, encourage one another, be kind to one another, bear with one another, and last of all, teach one another. And that isn't actually last of all, because there are 22 of those, and I just listed half. Now, you know what's interesting? Not one of those can be done alone. They just can't. Because they're about one another. This thing of following Jesus was always designed to be this relational activity. And secondly, all of these take place in the context of a relationship. Now, you know what that means? Those, those really can't be done when we sit here in rows. If you think so, find the person next to you whom you may not know and try giving them some counsel right now. They're going to think this is weird, right? Because it really doesn't work in this context. And, and, the, and this next slide is really for free. I want, you, I want you to see how this works. When I love, others love me. When I forgive, others forgive me. When I accept, Others accept me. I call this the Coke machine principle of life. And I may have to get a different illustration soon because of how Coke machines are are being designed to work. But the idea is if you stand in front of a Coke machine and you say, when I get my Coke, I'll pay for it. How long will you stand there? Long time. Yeah, and you'll go home thirsty. Because that's not how Coke machines work. And by the way, that's not how life works. And some of us get in these places in life where we think, I need to be loved. I need to be loved. Why doesn't anybody love me? I need to be loved. And we're standing in front of the machine of life saying, when I get loved, then I'll love. Exactly backwards. When I choose to love, and I choose to become a person who extravagantly loves other people, there will be more people who love me than I could ever count. And when I choose to be an extravagantly forgiving person, when I need forgiveness, people will be so willing to forgive. Now, friends, this is the community that you and I are wired for. This is the community we long for in life. We want to have that community where we're loved and forgiven and accepted and we can serve and and be served and and people can speak into our lives with wonderful counsel and they can restore us when we need to be restored and we could go down all the other, the rest of the list of 22. That's the community we were made for. It's the community we long for and it's the community that Jesus offers us. So why don't we just jump in and do that? Well, it's, it's not all our fault. Uh, on the other side of this TV is a cross. And I want to talk to you for a minute about the cross because the cross has a vertical dimension to it. It has a horizontal dimension to it. And most churches emphasize this, the vertical. 
the eye to the sky. See if you, see if you relate to this. My faith is between me and who? And God. Yeah. We've probably all said that. And there's a dimension of that that's true, but this is what most churches emphasize. That my relationship is with God. It's a solo thing. It's just between me and God. And basically it comes out in these three steps. Be moral. You know what that's code for? Don't sin. Or God will get you. Right? Heard a pastor say the other day that sometimes our theology can be wrapped up with God's going to get him <laughs> Yeah. You better be moral. You better stop sinning because if you don't stop sinning, you're going to offend God and you don't want to be on his bad side because he's going to come down on you. And oh, by the way, if God doesn't, the church will. Just in case he's not doing his job. All right? And Yeah, I know. Got that? Secondly, be studious. The idea is read your Bible. Read your Bible every day. Go to classes that will teach you your Bible. Buy a commentary and study through the New Testament and journal and take notes and, and memorize. Be studious. Read, study, meditate, memorize. If you want to grow spiritually, and last of all, be consistent. You better not be erratic at, be erratic at that because... That'll never work. And besides that, we'll get on you if, if, if you know your Bible reading is haphazard. It's this vertical dimension of Christianity. Now, I don't want to demean any of those things, okay? Because does God want you to be moral? Let's talk about that for a minute. Of course he does. Not because it's offensive to him. The reason that God wants you to be moral is because if you're immoral, you will hurt yourself and you will hurt the people around you. And oh, by the way, you and they are God's kids. Would you be willing to sit around and let someone hurt your kids? Or would that sort of get underneath your skin? Well, if you're any kind of a parent at all, you're going to go, hey, cut that out. God's no different. Immorality hurts people. Any form of it. Yeah. So, does God want us to be studious? Yes. Sometimes the reason we struggle is because we don't actually have a clue what God wants. And the reason we don't have a clue what God wants is we've never taken the time to do any research to find out what does he say. As the Old Testament prophet Hosea one time said, my people perish for lack of knowledge. The reason they don't act on what they believe is because they don't actually know what to believe. So this is really good. And consistency is a really good thing too. We'll talk about that in a little bit different dimension in a minute. So this is the vertical end of Christianity. Let's talk about the horizontal end of Christianity, and that's this part, okay? My relationship with God's children. This is my relationship with God. This is my relationship with his kids. It's relational. So it's not true that your faith is just between you and God. If you're following Jesus, your faith is between you and God, 
but it's also between you and all of his children. It's a relational thing. And that means be in community. That is, circle up. That's what we're talking about today. Be engaged and aware. In a sense, we're in, in, in a large community today. And there are people who have walked in today sky high. Life is great for them. They just got married. Life's great. Yeah. There are people who have walked in this building today that I've already talked to who lost their job this week. Life's not so good for them right now. It hurts. There are people who walked in the door who lost loved ones. There are people who walked in the door with brand new babies. There's the whole emotional gamut. Part of being in community is being engaged and aware. It's why one of the things that Jesus said to his followers many times was, open your eyes to look at the people around you. And then last of all, be proactive. And that is actively help. So the idea behind community groups is that we actually work on both of those. We work on our vertical relationship with God and we work on our horizontal relationship with all of God's children. Now that's not new to new life. This stuff is all throughout the newer Testament of the Bible. And I talked a while ago about the the men who were personally trained uh, in how to teach people to follow Jesus. And we assume that one of them wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, Most people think it's the Apostle Paul. I don't know for sure. But I know that whoever wrote it, whether male or female, was a dedicated follower of Jesus. And I want you to notice how the author addresses both the vertical aspect of Christianity and the horizontal aspect and how he ties them together. Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place. That's about as vertical as you can get, right? Did you know? So the book of Hebrews, as its name suggests, was written to Jewish Christians, okay? And they had this whole system of sacrifices that was, that was designed around a physical temple on this earth. And that temple had a courtyard that went around it. And then it had a holy place, which is where the priests all went into. And then it had a most holy place that was separated from the holy place by a curtain. And in the most holy place, only the high priest could go once a year. And on that one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, he would take the blood of a sacrifice and he would offer it on a thing on top of the only piece of furniture in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant. And God said on the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy place. And the priest would go in there and offer the blood of a, sac- of a sacrificed uh, bull on that particular mercy place sometimes called the mercy seat. Now, the author, backing up, the author says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter what? Wow, heaven's most holy place. There is a temple in heaven that's like the temple that was on earth. In fact, the one on earth that that uh, Solomon built was patterned exactly after the temple that's in heaven. And the author says, you and I don't have to go through a priest 
we can go directly into heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through that curtain into the most uh, giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the what? The presence of God. Huh. No priest necessary. Right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. That's the vertical aspect. Then he says something quite interesting. Let's hold tightly without wavering. And I've made that, I've highlighted without wavering because this is the whole context of this whole passage if you were to read it. And that is how do Christians remain faithful and consistently grow. And he's laying it out for us without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Now here's where he switches to the horizontal. How do we, how do, we do this thing without wavering? Here it is. Let us think of ways to spur one another on to acts of love and good works. Huh. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. Now, before I read the rest of the verse, look at this. This word spur, okay? If you ride a horse, okay, the way you get the horse to respond to a spur, it's not a kind suggestion. You take the spur and you sort of dig it into the horse's side. In other words, you get in the horse's business, in a way that the horse knows that you mean it. What this means is, if we're going to live in community with one another, we have to be in each other's business, not from a gossip standpoint, but we have to care enough about each other that we actually know what it takes to spur somebody on, to challenge them, to inspire them, even as we read earlier, to counsel them when they need it. And then he says, let us not neglect the meeting together as some people do. Now, when I was a kid, that was always meant about church attendance. Anybody grow up in a church where this verse was ever used about church? Of course you did, all right? But the truth is, this is not about church attendance. Because it's not in this church setting that you and I are looking for ways to spur each other on. That actually happens in a small group setting. And even more, this next part. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So go straight into the presence of God. That's awesome. Spur one another on. Encourage one another. What the author is telling us is there's a divinely designed correlation between community and faithfulness to God. And if I were to say it in my own words, I would say it like this. Faith comes alive in community. It really does. So where do we start out? Right here. That's why circles are better than rows. I'm so glad you're here sitting in rows this morning. Because this is where, (laughs) yes, this is where we learn what to believe. But it's very difficult to act on what we believe in this setting. It's in our groups that we actually have the context in which we can act 
on what we are learning to believe here. And that's why we have both rows and circles. But when it comes to life transformation, circles are better than rows. So what can I do this week? Well, the answer is obvious. Get in a community group. That's why we're launching them today. Um, in our audience, I mean, in, our, uh, in the lobby, you'll see all kinds of people with, with shirts like this. They will be glad to help you get enrolled. I'm going to talk for just a couple of minutes about what is a community group, okay? Basically, community groups take this large group of people and the people that come to the next service, and, and they help us get into small communities where we can thrive and where we can actually encourage and spur one another on. There are groups of 8 to 12 adults who circle up regularly. Most of the community groups will meet every week. A handful of them, because of various circumstances that, that make it have to be that way, will meet twice a month. But most will meet every week. They, these, you're not just assigned a group. You get to select via demographics. And when you pull up the online form to register, I don't know, there's 18 to 20 different demographics you can choose from. Community groups last 18 to 24 months. And you say, why 18 to 24 months? Because there's a lot of research that's been done, and that's the optimal time length for a group. If a group meets any shorter than that, let's say, oh yeah, 12 or 15 weeks, and we'll study a topic, and we'll all go our different ways. The problem is, there's not enough time there for people to actually bond, develop a sense of community, and and really be able to speak into each other's lives as we should. If the group goes longer than 24 months, usually it becomes more of a clique than a fresh and vibrant community group. And cliques don't actually help us. Okay, They certainly don't help people coming in. Um, A community group manages its own schedule. If you've been around the church for a while and you've been in one of our life groups, you know that that life groups go for sessions and then we take a little time off and life groups uh, start up again. Community groups are not like that. Every community group manages its own schedule. So when it comes to Thanksgiving, instead of the church telling you that your group does or doesn't meet, you figure that out. Christmas, you figure that out. Next summer, you figure that out because you're actually trying to manage the schedule in such a way that you can help each other grow the best. You choose your own curriculum. All of us are at different places in our life and we need different things. So the question that we want to ask is, where do I need to grow? Now, follow this with me. Where do I need to grow is not what would I like to learn. Did you get that? Where do I need to grow is not what would I like to learn. Where do I need to grow? I want to give you a simple statement that will scare you to death, but this is what you need to be asking yourself. What part of my life is least like Jesus? When you know the answer to that, you actually know where you need to grow. And when you know where you need to grow... Then you're ready to ask this question. What do I need to know in order to grow in that area? Big paradigm. Does everybody get that? Big paradigm. Pull over to the side of the road for just a minute. Okay. Those of you who know me well know I love every one of you. And if I could do anything for you, I would. But here's something I cannot do for you. 
I cannot own the responsibility for your spiritual growth. The church can't do that. You are responsible for your own spiritual growth. The church can help provide tools, but in the end, you have to be responsible for your spiritual growth. Because on the day that you stand in front of Jesus as one of his children, and he starts going over your life, you can't say, Pastor Ron, could you come and testify on my behalf? That's not going to work. Right. It's also not going to work for you to say, well, I would have grown more, but that Pastor Ron, he just wasn't very good. No. The deal is, we have to all own our own responsibility for our spiritual growth. So when we take 8 to 12 people and they dare to ask that question individually, where is my life least like Jesus? And they begin to share it. Well, then it becomes clear fairly quickly what curriculum that group needs. Now, if the average curriculum is six, six weeks or so, and most curriculum out there is, and we're going we're gonna to hook you up with a, with a site that will give you more than 300 possibilities for, for community group curriculum on virtually every and any subject you could think of, if, if in 18 to 24 months, if the average curriculum length, let's say, is six weeks, you're going to work your way through nearly 15 different curricula during that time. So everybody's needs in the group is going to get met. That's the idea, okay? And then last of all, multiple discussion facilitators, okay? It's our goal that every community group would have two or three or four people inside the group who are capable of, of facilitating the discussion for an evening, and that they would be rotating because we want to develop more and more people in our church. That's part of your spiritual growth development right there. More and more people in our church who are capable of doing that so we can start more and more groups as more and more people come into our church. So how do I get into a community group? First of all, I think I went, okay, there we go. I got it. Two ways. Number one, if you're in a life group or a summer group and you decide to continue, okay, you, you will become a community group. And, um, and that means that when I talk in a minute about group link, you won't be going through that process, okay? So if you're in a life group or a summer group and you all say, hey, we want to continue this fall and we want to pick out our own curriculum and we're ready to become a community group. Well, well good. You're already there. Uh, if you're not in a life group or a community group that's going to continue, then you register for a thing called Group Link. And it's a fun event. It's sort of a party event that meets business, that has some uh, finger foods, and it's a whole lot of fun. But here's the deal. It takes place on Sunday, October the 4th, from 4 o'clock to 5.30. It's 90 minutes long, and there's two things you need to know. Number one, you have to register, okay? And you can't register sitting where you are, and the reason that you can't 
is because in the past when we gave everybody the opportunity to register right where you were, gobs of people registered, and 30% of them never showed up for the first meeting and never showed up for any meeting after that, and we didn't do them any good. In fact, we actually hurt them because they felt guilty after that. And that's not our, our, our goal is not to make people feel guilty. So we're going to ask you to do two things. Number one, you have to register for GroupLink. And number two, you have to attend and participate, okay? So if you register for GroupLink but you don't come to GroupLink, you won't be placed in a group. Now, I know if, you know, if, if, if your wife dies, we'll work on that, all right? <laughs> yes, we will get you in a group, okay? If there's something really tough that happens or it's absolutely impossible for you to be there on Sunday afternoon, October 14th at 4 p.m., we will find a way to get you in a group. We have, we have a method for that. So when you register, we're going to ask you to choose two demographics, okay? There's a postcard. Did you see it? There's a postcard inside your program today, and on the back side are all the different demographics that we offer. So that's just there for you to sort of get a heads up. Okay, which two of those actually look best for me? You're going to register online. Now, you can register via your smartphone, tablet, laptop, desktop, doesn't make any difference. Any, any computer or smart device like that, all you do is you go to the church's website, you click the latest, you go down and click a thing called group link, which is what I'm talking to you about right now. Uh, you can see a registration link. You click that, pop up, fill out the form, hit submit, and you're ready to go. If you want some help with that, people wearing these shirts out in the lobby, they will be more than happy to help you because that's why we have these beautiful red shirts. Do you like these? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. By the way, I want to say one thing before we go. The people wearing these shirts are some of the most dedicated people in our church. I can tell you that for multiple reasons. And they will have so much fun helping you. So I'll be hanging out in the lobby afterwards. The the rest of the people with red shirts will be out there. If you have any questions, please drop by. We have an FAQ sheet about group link. We have an FAQ sheet about community groups. Some of you are going to say, is child care? Is there any support for child care? We have a brand new child care policy that I think you're going to love. We're going to offer a significant subsidy for anyone who, who needs child care. And you make arrangements for child care at your home where your kids are used to. And the church will give you a significant reimbursement for that cost. And we have a special rate chart. Uh, so, yes, how about that? <clears throat> we want everyone to be able to be in a group. So, let's pray. God, thank you, thank you that you love us enough to tell us, oh, by the way, I actually wired you up for community. And you'll find it virtually impossible to thrive without it. And I actually designed my church around these small groups of people where they spur one another on and where they encourage one another. And as we launch this ministry today, God, would you bring hundreds of, of adults in our church into community groups where we can build this loving context. And as we learned last week, we can actually dare to be known for who we are and we can stop this image control thing. God, that's our prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.